Hi, this is Sedge Thompson. Welcome to this special audio highlights podcast from West Coast Live. For more information about our shows and other guests and podcasts, wcl.org. My next guest on West Coast Live is currently in a show that tells the story of her life at the Berkeley Rep. And the, the name of the show is Life Without Makeup, but it's certainly with its costume changes and its dance numbers and its song numbers. And it tells the story of her life as she went uh, from a young girl coming from Puerto Rico to New York City, and then her adventures in the, uh, the world of entertainment, song, rhythm, dance, film, stage, for which she's won the, uh, the Emmy, the Grammy, the Oscar, and the Tony for her work and uh, the Oscar for her role as Anita in West Side Story in 1961. Gosh, 50 years ago now. Grammy for the Electric Company, and if you've uh, seen her version of the Menu Song by Tom Lehrer, you'll know why, in which she plays opposite Morgan Freeman. And many other highlights, you know, a film called Carnal Knowledge, and uh, uh, her uh, portrayal of uh, other luminaries in Oz, and and uh, happily divorced and more recent shows. Uh, she's uh, in phenomenal fettle. Please welcome Rita Moreno to West Coast. How did you? Lovely to see you again. Before anything else, I really, Mike, that was just extraordinary. You know, when I hear you, you play, really. when I hear your music, it's it's like something soft just running over my body. It's, he's, isn't he marvelous? Isn't he Ooh. great? Yeah. Ooh. Thank you. <laughs> can I use that quote? Yep. Absolutely. It's a little <laughs> sexy. You can do that, yeah. He's blushing. <laughs> I woke up this morning gasping your name. Like this, <gasps> Sedge. I had forgotten to set my alarm clock. I forgot all about you. Yeah, well, I'm here. I know you're here. <laughs> that was scary. Well, you know, you work, you work hard, and you work late. You saw, you saw the show. Yes. Mm -hmm. I hope you enjoyed it. Very much. Well, what are you going to say? We're on the air here. Yeah. No, I talked about it earlier while you were still asleep, apparently. And, uh, <laughs> But that's okay. Uh, no, I, it's it's a it's a wonderful show. It's an extraordinary story, and to see you recreate some of uh, your famous. I mean, for instance, to watch you tap dancing on the stage, um, doing it was it was the Broadway number from uh, from uh, Singing, Singing in the, the Rain. Rain. Yeah, yeah, and I just decided we were going to do that number anyway because I had a small role in Singing in the Rain, and I remember it with 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 uh, enormous affection because. Uh, Gene Kelly was one of the very first people ever to cast me in a non-ethnic role, Zelda Zander, in, in uh, it was a little role. And um, one of the great parts of doing that film was to watch him rehearsing all the time. And there's a, a marvelous kind of vintage uh, look to the number, which is quite deliberate. You know, I mean, I actually do a time step at one point, which is... You know, if you have uh, fussy professional dancers in the audience, they say, oh, for God's sake, she's doing a time step. <laughs> but that's, that's the whole idea. It has a vintage -y kind of look to it, the number. And I have two astonishing dancers. I mean, really astonishing, aside from the fact that they are also gorgeous and hunky. Oh. 
There's a, there's a number of scenes where they reveal this, uh, one inspired by uh, the role that you had in uh, the Ritz, the Terrence McNally <laughs> play, in which you play a, a singer-dancer who cannot sing and cannot dance. Yeah, and she talks like this, you know? And she, she thinks she is the world's gift to the whole world. And uh, she does have good taste in music because she sings uh, Everything's Coming Up Roses. She has a great Broadway tooth in her, and you know, I had a dring, a dring about Joel, baby. <laughs> <laughs> you sort of have to be there. <laughs> it's pretty funny. So thanks to YouTube, you can go and take a look at the original piece, and not only that, your, rec your receipt of the Tony Award for that role. I just saw that. Uh, somebody played it for you, because I never watched myself, and I, I've never looked myself up, actually, Google or anything like that. And I really jumped up and down. I was so happy. Did you see it? I did, and it looked like you almost had one of those wardrobe accidents, too. You mean my boobies? Yeah. I didn't have that much to have an accident with. No. <laughs> <laughs> but you did, uh, you did something about how I, I'm really not a supporting actress. Oh, yes. Well, I made a point of it, and they never forgave me at the Tonys, because I, oh, boy, did they not forgive me. Because I, as Googie, I spoke, I, t I did my acceptance speech, and I said, uh, in this show, I am not the, uh, I'm not the uh, supporting player. I am, I am the star. The only thing I support in this show is my bids. <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of people do remember that. But uh, the man who was producing the Tonys at that time just said, I don't ever want her back on this show. No. And I never did do it again. Well, I mean, but who is he to say who votes for you or not, right? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> you got that right. So what was, your, what was your given name? When you entered the United States from Puerto Rico at the young age of, was it five? Yes. What, yeah. was, what was your name? Rosa Dolores Alverio. And I'm so sorry now that I, I'm, I'm missing the Rosa. I think it's a beautiful name. Rosa Dolores is beautiful. You know, ev uh, names have fashions, and they have trends. And at the time, Rosa was a fat lady who sat on a stoop, and you could see her garters, because <laughs> she wouldn't put her legs together. That's the name, that's the image that that conjured up. You look very puzzled, sir. <laughs> <laughs> But Rita, Rita at the time, somebody said, you're going to be a Rita. Yeah, he, uh, well, there's a funny little scene in the play where uh, the casting agent from MGM calls me up, because that's where my first contract took place, calls me into his office, and he said, uh, at the, the time, my name was Rosita Moreno, and he said, uh, we're going to have to change your name, honey, it's too Italian. <laughs> because it was, everyone pronounced it Marino. And then he came out with some doozies like Orchid Montenegro and uh, Maria Marigold and uh, some just a, Mitzi Margarita. Astonishing name. So by the time he got to read, I didn't say, say, dare say no anymore. He said, how about Rita Marino? And, uh, and he said, think Rita Hayworth. And that's when I thought, yeah. And I thought to myself, that sounds like a movie star. So that's how it became Rita Moreno. Thank you very much. Yeah. So you've had a, a profound ambivalence uh, about your persona, about your personhood, your, your inner self, your identity. You, you tried at one time to play roles kind of like Marilyn Monroe, <laughs> and yet there were times, too, when the role of being the sex pot uh, you know, was the cliché, the thing that you did not want to do. 
the well, I call them the Conchita Lolita roles. And I, I struggled with that for years in films. I mean, they really didn't know what to do with me. And uh, that's why both contracts eventually didn't last, either at MGM or at, or at Fox. Uh, I was the, uh, the utility ethnic for, uh, for much of my life, and it was the source of great despair and frustration. Because when I was out of work, I was uh, despairing. And then when I was offered work, I was happy for one day, and then I'd see that it was an Indian girl. I mean, I played every nationality. In those days, I played a Siamese girl, I played Indian girls, I played Arabian girls. I never did a role where I didn't have to have an accent. So as we say in the play, I developed uh, <laughs> something that sort of worked for me, because I kept saying, well, how do these people speak? You know, how would they speak if they were speaking English? And there was nobody there, they didn't care to, to help me out, so I invented what I call the utility, uh, the universal ethnic accent which had a very great impact in the world of cinema. <laughs> and yet to our, uh, our uh, undiscriminating ears sounded appropriate for the role, however it was in whatever short lines, who knows? I who suppose, knows? yeah. yeah. The, the, um, you tell uh, wonderful stories in the play. You, you worked with uh, uh, Tony Tacconi, who, uh, who worked up the, the, the script for the play based on your stories. And there were some curious sort of things that I was puzzled about. For instance, at one point, you were kind of out of work early on in your career. A phone wasn't ringing. Yeah. And then suddenly, you were on the cover of Life magazine. I know. We, How'd that happen? We, we have to sort of fix that little part of the play, because everyone, uh, it was, I think it was 1954. And uh, it didn't just sort of happen. We threw it in because it's a great cover picture that says Life magazine on it. But the explanation is, as briefly as I can, that uh, at the time, just before that, that during that year, um, four-camera TV series became popular because of I Love Lucy. They, they're the ones who really started to do that. Desi Lou was their company name. And I was doing a pilot with Roy uh, uh, Ray Bolger. And I was doing a dance with him. Life magazine was covering all of this new, brand new activity in Hollywood. And my picture was among many, many that they had taken, and my, lots of pictures with, uh, with Ray. And somebody at uh, Life Magazine said, who is that girl? I mean, really, really in the most cliche way. She looks interesting, she's a pretty little girl. Let's take more pictures of just her. And they did, we did some test photos, and uh, they came out really beautifully, and so they did, they got their top photographer to do a, a possible cover picture of me. Really, what it meant was uh, that one of the new young actresses is what that was about. But I know that people in the audience say, yeah, yeah so how did that happen? So we will explain it at some point. You know, this is a, a play in progress. Uh, nonprofit theater is four weeks of rehearsal, period, which may, may sound very long, but when you're doing dance numbers and you haven't danced and you have a leading lady who hasn't danced in 40 years, <laughs> I'm going to be 80 in December, and... Uh, <laughs> All those dance rehearsals kind of ate up some of our very important text time. <laughs> they really did. I mean, the muscles just would not obey. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting because not only do you have these two hunks as part of the, uh, the play, helping move scenery on and off, <laughs> and dancing with you and lifting you in the air and, and me throwing you around. Yeah. I mean, you do your, your own dancing. You're climbing up and down steps and, and uh, reciting and singing and... and I'm thinking, um, that would be challenging for a 22-year-old. Actually, it would. 
<laughs> As it happens, I'm sore all the time. I'm always sort of kind of achy. I have a knee replacement, which was done just about uh, eight months ago. And uh, well, that's the good knee now. That's the good knee, and it does all the really, really hard work for me. The trouble is I do have a problem with balance where I never, ever, ever had that. And, and my, my dancers are just, they take extraordinarily good care of me on stage. They really protect me. They're very loving. We, we, uh, we have a terrific, I'm like their mama. We have a terrific relationship. And speaking of that, when we had decided that I was going to have two fellas dancing with me, I begged the choreographer, Lee Martino, who's just wonderful. I said, I don't want boys. I don't want it to look like a Las Vegas act with a, with a lady who hasn't you know, been doing anything for a long time. I don't want, them to, don't want it to look like they're dragging me around the stage. <laughs> and so she really had to choreograph very carefully, let us be very honest. Uh, I, I, I certainly can't do what I used to do. But I think the joy, number one, I'm amazed that I'm having as much fun as I am dancing. I really love it, which surprises me. Because I thought it was going to be just, you know, hell on wheels. And in a way it was, but these two guys, they're just ridiculously handsome, but they're, they're young men, they're not boys. Even though everybody in the business always calls uh, men dancers boys. I don't know what that is. Well, they call actresses girls, right? I haven't heard that. Where? Yeah. Or maybe worse, I don't know. Where do you hang out? Yeah. I mean, you tell some stories about what it, is to, what, what it was to be a, a young actress in, in Hollywood that, uh, you know, come out of the sort of the, the dark shadow world of that industry. It, it, it's really, that part of it is, is quite dark. Uh, not just young actresses, but uh, that too. But a Latina young actress, boy, oh boy, oh boy. I don't get no respect for many, many, many years. And I mean, I remember being at the MGM lot, MGM lot and greeting people and just having them look away. It was just, it was an astonishing time. And as it was, I didn't think too much of myself anyway, because I found out very quickly when I arrived in uh, New York City from Puerto Rico that it was not a good thing to come from another country, that it was not a good thing to speak English with an accent. Uh, I found Unless you were, say, Marlena Dietrich. Oh, yes, but she was a grown-up, wow. you know, and she had a very, she wore pants, too. <laughs> oh, I'm not kidding. She was one of the very few stars at the time who wore trousers almost all the time. Very European. She was great. Uh, in the process of working up this material, you had to go back and, and think of times in your life that either weren't so pleasant, but also were challenging emotionally, um, and... How did you decide uh, you know, what to include? Was there some material that you felt, I don't know whether I want to include this in the, in the play, but then you decided to go ahead in the, in the, as, as part of the story to tell it. You're so right. Uh, when we first started, you mentioned Tony Tacconi, whom I'm sure people say, who the heck is that? It's a real name. That's his name. He's the artistic director of Berkeley Rep. But really, he was really Bob Smith, and somebody wanted to make him sound Italian, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, never mind. We all try. We all try. Anyway, we spent about a year and a half with a tape recorder and two laptops, uh, Tony Tacconi and his assistant, Mina. And he would just ask me questions. It would be like, right now, you're asking me questions, but they led to other questions, which led to other questions. And uh, it was a very interesting process. It was, at times, the thing that surprised me is the thing that made me cry. There were two things. It was my mom, with whom I had a 
a complicated relationship, let's put it that way. It, it had nothing to do with anger or... But it had a great deal to do with disappointment. I think my mom was, uh, she was a simple woman. She was not educated. She did the very best she could. And you know, the older you get, of course, the more you begin to understand these things and you become, I think forgiveness is a very important thing. It's become a very important thing in my life. And, uh, but when her name was brought up, I s started to cry and Tony said, because it came out of some odd place. It didn't even belong, it seemed. And he said, why are you crying? And I said, because I feel I never did enough for her. And uh, that just opened some doors that, oh my God, it's like the, the fires of hell in a way. And uh, I guess I, I, I think I really believed that. I, I no longer do because this turned into a kind of a therapeutic. He said, you have to look into that, you know, because if we're going to talk about her, you can't break down every time you speak about her. Uh, in the show. And in fact, uh, I don't know that she comes off that terribly well in a way because, as I said, she was a simple person. She was very, very self-absorbed and full of her own needs, which always came first. And on the other hand, though, this is a woman who came to this country. Uh, she left me home after she divorced my, my dad in Puerto Rico temporarily. She came here by ship, here being in New York City. No English whatsoever. She was very young when she had me. She went to a sweatshop and just worked her buns off for months and months before she had enough money to go back and retrieve me. And it was just she and myself for many, many years living in little hovels and in the ghetto and all that. So, you know, it's how, how you deal with a parent like that in a show like this is always a very delicate matter because... Um, she was, in, in her way, she was heroic. She was astonishing. But she wasn't a very good mother. So And separated you, you from your brother. I had a brother named Francisco Alverio. And this really kills me, whom I never saw again. Ever, ever, ever. She didn't bring him. Her intention, apparently, was to bring him back at some point, And she didn't. And I kept asking, where is he? And little by little, you know, he left my mind. I was very young, and I never saw him. And that just breaks my heart. And I understand. I tried to find him. I knew he was in the States, and um, I finally one day heard. I would ask anybody, do you know where this boy might be? And I heard, the last I heard many years ago was that he was in San Diego and that he had passed away. So, you know, I think what's good about Did he ever know of, of you? He must have. He must have, and I have a feeling that the reason he didn't show up is that he was very, very shy about, because my father tried to do that once, never saw him again, by the way, except one time when I got into the movies. And he suddenly shows up, and uh, I, I was very angry with him. And I didn't want, uh, I really didn't want any part of him, and I wrote him a letter which took me about three months to, to, to mail to him because it, took such guts for me at the time to say, I don't think of you as my father. You know, now that I'm in films, you apparently are interested, and I have lost interest. Something to that effect. And I suffered from such guilt for that for years, for that letter. You also allude to feeling guilt for getting a, a role from another ethnic, for The oh, King and I. Oh, that, that was really tough. When I, I, when I uh, tested for The King and I for the part of Top Tim, the king's uh, Siamese young mistress, uh, when I came onto the set, 
uh, there were other people testing for it on that same set. And I saw Franz Nguyen, a most beautiful and lovely, lovely Vietnamese girl uh, who was actually born in, she's Vietnamese, but she was born in France, and so they call her Franz Nguyen. And I, I relate in the show how I envied her beauty and how I desperately wanted her not to get the part, even though she was absolutely right for it. And I couldn't get that out of my mind after I, I got the part to this day. And I tell the audience that it's, it's that, you know, I tried to erase her from my mind and I couldn't do it because, as I say in the play, she should have been a colleague, a sister, an ally. And instead, in my mind, I did to her what had been done to me for years and years and years. So I've never forgotten that. And it, it, but somebody else made the casting decision, right? You were just... No, no, obviously, as I say, I didn't do anything right. to her, but it's, you know, I'm very... I'm looking, I look inside a great deal, and I, I didn't like myself. Let me put it that way for, for those thoughts. You, uh, you tell some amazing romantic stories and a, a great story of... There's only, uh, about one, your... there's only one, really. Well, I don't know which one you're thinking of. I'm not going to give away some of the details, but... <laughs> But, but it's, hard, it's hard to be almost 80. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Yeah, neither do I. You know? uh, but but, it's, uh, but, but well, the, the, the point I wanted to get to was that one, you your husband... Uh, oh, that. That's, that's a lovely story. Yeah. But he, at one point, when you got the script for Carnal Knowledge that was being directed by Mike Nichols, he didn't want you to do the part because of uh, a sexual scene that was, was in it. And you went and you, you did the movie, but afterwards... He, uh, you, you felt bad about doing the movie because you felt you'd been then, in a way, inadvertently once again cast in a sexual stereotype for the role. And I just wondered if he had somehow reframed the question to you prior to doing that uh, carnal launch. Well, you know, I think they're going to stereotype you in some way here, you know, make you out in the sexual role. Would that have made you rethink your taking that You mean part? if my husband had yeah, said that? Yeah, I mean, if it had been framed in a different way other than kind of... Well, it's, it's the role of a, of a uh, prostitute. Or an expensive prostitute, and uh, he he really 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 didn't want me to do it, and I'm thinking. And by the way, I was scared to death to do it too. It was for its time, extremely bold and unique. In fact, there were riots and protests about this film. You know what? We may well run out of time before the story, which is a perfect way of saying you got to hear the rest of it in your show. <laughs> what a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Rita Moreno, Life Without Makeup at the Berkeley Rep through October 30th, and perhaps beyond. Thank you very much. Mike Green still at the piano, Mitchell Holman at the mixing desk, Larry and Cassie behind the scenes, Linnea Rivaro Barrios helping out with the engineering today, and uh, David uh, Amartis. And uh, we'll be back uh, live in a couple of weeks. We have some great broadcasts coming up for the next couple of weeks. And back live October 1st here at the Ferry Building with Judy Collins, Justin Torres, Tony D'Souza. And until then, safe journey. Thank you very much for being here on West Coast Live. This is Edge Thompson. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Try out others from West Coast Live right here. And we look forward to having you in one of our audiences one day. For more information, wcl.org.